Hello, I'm Craig Constantine from Movers Mindset. I'm here with Patrick Oencia. Good afternoon, good evening, I guess, for you. Good morning for me. Good. It's actually good evening, yeah. Good evening. How are you today? Very great. How are you? I'm good. Busy. It's kind of early morning for me, so I'm just like drinking my second cup of coffee. Um, so let's just dive right in. Um, Patrick Oencia was born in Hong Kong and traveled the world throughout his childhood, living in Asia, North America, and Europe. He's currently based between Europe and Asia. He is the founder of Para Impacto, Baseworks, and Yoga Yaya, or Yoga Jaya. How do you say that? Jaya? Harder J. Yoga Jaya. Patrick's goal is to coordinate science, movement practice, and philosophy to promote self-awareness and a greater coexistence with the environment. So I already said, welcome, Patrick. Um, Thank you. I like to start um, with pretty much the same question each time, which is mm -hmm. uh, thinking back to your childhood, what yeah. role did movement play for you as you were growing up? Yeah, that's, um, there was multiple different variables on that one. I, um, uh, as long as I can remember, I felt that uh, one of the main things that, that movement provided for me was uh, a bit of um, a neutralization or a harmonization of uh, a lot of um, uh, fired up energy. Energies. So, uh, and, and if I was able to direct that through some sort of movement, whether that would just be kind of playing as a kid or, or doing something more, more active and, and focused, such as a sport, um, it offered me a kind of a, um, a calm composure, which at the end of it was not only a way to, for me to calm down, but a way for me to actually uh, better address other various different things that I was doing in my life that, that were not related to movement. And as long as I can remember, I, I can really remember that being a very vivid um, um, memory. Um, so obviously I've done a little bit of reading and the people watching haven't. So I'm going to like cut the corner here and say, you have a particular, um, and I don't mean particular in the sense that it's unusual, but you have a particular focus on philosophy as it connects into movement. And I'm wondering, at, is there a point uh, in time that you can remember where you realized that you felt that philosophy was critical to where your movement practice was taking you? Um, yeah, you know, I was, I'm half Spanish. My mom, uh, my mother's Spanish, and I was raised a part of my life in Spain, and we would often return to Spain to visit with my grandparents. And at one point in the, uh, when I was, I was younger, I started doing competitive cycling. I think maybe I started when I was 12 or 13 years old, and I was doing road racing and criteriums and uh, time trials. And uh, that was in Eastern Canada at that point, and uh, it was, cycling was pretty low key. I was, I was in a bike club, and we went to a lot of races, and I would go off to Spain and spend some uh, time with my grandparents in a very different environment. Uh, in, a, in a Roman town in the center of Spain called Zamora, which is kind of like in a very, you know, a little bit of higher altitude, very, very arid, dry, and a lot of pro bike clubs there. And I can remember uh, at one point sitting and having a chat with my grandfather and one of the um, one of the uh, coaches for one of the bike clubs in 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 that town, mm -hmm. and he was talking about uh, he was making making a reference to uh, essentially um, uh, what I'm looking for Stephen Coulter, one of those guys. Um, uh, even uh, um, Sometimes I tell people, if you have the word in your head in a different language, use it. <laughs> <laughs> What's he talking? Stephen Kotler. Um, flow. 
So basically, he was talking. This coach, you know, this is back in the in the seventies. Mm -hmm. This coach was like describing the flow state to me, and I, I could remember. Uh, so in seventies, yeah, it was around turn, just around nineteen eighty. And then he was like, okay, he talked about the flow. He was talking about something that that pertained to the flow state. And I was listening to him, and I could, I was thinking to myself, yeah, I've actually experienced something like that uh, in my, particularly in my time trial training, because I would always be riding at that time between twenty and thirty kilometer um, uh, um, distances to trying to always get a better time. Mm. I can remember at those times going into a bit of a zone where. Um, for one, the, it wasn't that it became effortless, but it, 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 but the, the the pain or whatever kind of effort was associated with the um, with, with the goal kind of dissipated, and things kind of just sort of fell fell away, and oh, I wow. and I would feel very focused, and and I could say that um, that the the um, the senses. Were really heightened after that experience every time. So when I when I stopped my training for the day, for example, I would be like, it'd be sunset, and I'd be looking at the sunset, I'd be going, wow, mm. and it'd be really sort of very connected to the beauty of the sunset. And then this coach from this club in Spain, sitting and talking to my grandfather, who's also kind of a very, you know, philosophical guy in his own way, um, we're just talking about um, that state where effort just went away, and I was I could understand it. But then they were relating it to, um, ah, yes, and then the beauty of the sky, the Castilian sky at night, mm -hmm. and, and, and how that becomes more beautiful. I could also relate with that. And then I started to, um, my father was a journalist, and he spent uh, several years in China during the Cultural Revolution. So there was many, many books on um, Tao and Lao Tzu. And I, I can remember shortly thereafter reading um, a book on Tao and seeing some references to similar things. And I think that that's when I started to really get an interest. I was thinking that Tao, in, in, in a lot of Lao Tzu's writings, he was also making a lot of reference to uh, movement as a metaphor for transformation. And I can remember reading that and thinking, this is maybe when I was 13 or 14 years old, tying that, connecting that to the actual experience I had just trying to reach this, these gains or this goal of like beating my time on a time trial, but how it became so much more than that. And then, you know, uh, shortly thereafter, I got into playing music. And um, uh, as a musician, I also experienced the same thing, kind of a flow, flow state thing. And from that point forward, I just got more and more interested, for, for, first and foremost, in, in how philosophy looked at these types of experiences. And, uh, and later became more interested specifically in Eastern philosophy, but it didn't stop there. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, it's, if you were sparked that early and it sounds like it was something that really, really felt, um, so it's one thing to be impressed or to be awed by something, but it's another to be impressed by something and have it feel like something you've already experienced. And I'm, I'm thinking that that did that seems like it stuck with you continuously, or did you have periods where you, I hate to say lost it, but periods where you went away and had to come back to it, or was it just became a touch point for the rest of your journey? Those, yeah, it always undulates. I mean, um, I, so philosophy, these, these experiences in particular, but I mean, the, the whole life experience progress for me, the human experience, I like to refer to as the human experience uh, for me is 
uh, a, a series of events which are which are basically peaks and valleys, and and those peaks and valleys are offering a lot of really um, depth or insight, and you know, in, into new new possibilities. Uh, you know, ironically enough, here's a great one right now that we're in with this COVID nineteen crisis. Uh, we're in Japan here, where I mean, we just I, this is the last thing we'd expected, and um, and it's really it's quite devastating. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on around that uh, people just didn't anticipate and as invisible and weird as it kind of is um it's it's causing a lot of problems for people and uh and this is a, a kind of an example of the things that where we least anticipate something mm. uh, here we're given the opportunity to um recalibrate and that that recalibration is something that's always been very exciting for me and i could say in my own personal philosophy some people might you know people that have worked with me and and also some of the teachers that I've trained over the years in my method and, and also in yoga and, and people work with the martial arts when I explain to them that what it really exhilarated me in, in my own progress was hitting the wall and, um, and, and having to pick myself back up. So when you say yes, that I, that I lose the sense of those things, many, many times in my life, I couldn't see. I was like, uh, you know, in the hole and I was trying to sort of get some sort of grasp, of, you know, for one, of just how to survive at that point in time, forget the beautiful sunset or anything else. It was just like, how am I going to get myself out of this hole and and find that level of optimism that I once used to have? And and uh, but just having the perspective to know that you're in a, a hole or a dip or a valve, whatever metaphor you want to use, just having the the ability or the the perception to notice that that is oh wait this is a contrast to something else that I've experienced. That's that's a pretty man subtle is the wrong word, but that's not a common thing people to notice good well uh craig i have to be honest i mean i didn't always i mean it depended on how deep the hole was and um at times you know i was really i i, I had to also get to the point where it's like oh yeah i'm just in a, i'm just in a fucking hole i can just yeah and then it's just, it's just a process but i mean yeah as long as as long as i can remember it's like the biggest transformations or the you know the, the most powerful realizations that i've had have not been from the um achieving the goals in, in, in succeeding. I, I would consider the goals having, having achieved the goals would have been getting into the rut as, uh, as Seth Godin would sometimes right. reference to, uh, and being able to see that, you know, it's time, either time for transformation or time, time for some major recalibration or change. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you think that, uh, so I, I, I mentioned Seth, I mentioned Seth Godin, just for listeners out there, just because that's where Craig and I met. In, in that's, the, that's, a good, well, <laughs> that's why I was pausing. I'm like, do, do we want to go? How do we know each other? Or do we want to go yeah. on with that? Um, I was going to, I was going to ask if um, I'm personally interested in travel. So in this, uh, so I'm in the United States, I'm on the East coast and I'm going to say three quarters of the people that I know. Um, and, and I think the percentage is higher. I happen to have a large number of people who do, who are friends of mine who do parkour, but say three quarters of the people I know don't travel much at all. Um, I would say half of the people I know don't even have a passport. So it's just like they wouldn't ever really go anywhere. And I've, I have um, people in my family, my extended family that I've talked to and they're like, why would I want to travel? Like, you know, and I, I think that traveling really um, I don't want to say it broadens your horizons, but it really makes you realize the preconceived notions you have about just life in general. And I'm 
wondering if you have any thoughts. So you were basically forced to travel, like in a good way, that your upbringing was just you're going to be traveling. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on for people who aren't in that, that type of environment where travel is just, yeah, that's what we do. Are there ways that they can crack that nut without actually having to get on a plane? I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to refer to COVID, but you know, if you're not able to travel, how do you go about you know, getting a handle on that? Because just that collision of the, the Tao Eastern philosophy with your grandfather and one cycling coach, that's like two different continents, right? So those, just that little collision of things is, was just happened to you, but that's not going to happen to the average person. So I'm wondering if there's any thoughts you have on how do you go about cracking that nut? Or is that where your business has come in as a way to try and help people find that thread? Yeah, you know, um, I think there's lots of opportunities for it without having to go anywhere. It's just uh, how how you look at um, uh, the qualities of the interactions that you have, for example, mm-hmm. with people and or what you do in life. So uh, I think it was um, said, said another person. I don't know why these people's names are. Um, <laughs> That's uh, today. Nice call uh, uh, just a second. Uh, yeah. British philosopher. Um, <laughs> it's going to be easy enough. Uh, yeah, here we go. He comes up first. Uh, um, let's see. I'm sorry. Yeah, Alan Watts. Uh, oh. So Alan Watts made a very good analogy of this uh, in in one of his really old, um, I guess you would call it. He was doing lots of video, inspirational video lectures. Yeah. So for people to check it, check these out, you can see them on YouTube. Alan Watts was describing a monotony. And he was like, well, you know, let's take the example of a bus driver, um, uh, a bus driver who um, is just completely bored and, and trapped in this, in, in this reality of monotony is looking at, at his job in a way where um, it's the same thing over and over again every day and he's trapped, whereby the perspective that we, that we impose onto that can completely change the perceived reality and he gives the examples of the bus driver. He gets on the bus and he's driving, and his perceptual, um, you know, scope widens. So he starts to see, oh, you know, he noticed something on the street that wasn't there before, and the and the way a scent of a person that came on the bus, and he treats it like it's a journey each and every day. So that really, you know, set home to me. There was times, you know, I traveled a lot, but there was times where I was also stuck in places for indefinite periods of time. And I can remember at those times too, it was just the simplest things. And it, even now just is, is a great example. So we're kind of stuck. We can't really do much here. I, everything that I normally do in my, my regular routine now has stopped. Mm. Right? So I can't, I can't, I, I love swimming. So I love swimming long distances. I can't swim now. I mean, mm. in, in, the, in the local pools here in Tokyo. Um, so we had, you had to find a different, um, a different approach to being able to uh, address similar things, to be able to tap into that same type of feeling that we just explained. Travel isn't necessary. It's how you look at the experiences you have each and every day. And um, I mean, you mentioned parkour. So people who are, uh, you know, I haven't practiced parkour other than my own interest in just jumping from one thing to another. And, and, and I was natural human movement, skate, right? skateboarding, skateboarding for many years. So there's a little bit of a, an overlap between skateboarding and parkour. And I like, and I love street skating. So when I was street skating in that, I can really relate with a lot of parkour because what we used to do in, in street skating was we would skate all over the city and we would find banks and we would find obstacles and we would try to keep a continuous flow happening uh, through the course of our, our evening or whatever it was. And when you think about something like parkour or street skating, you can be in the same train, but how you approach 
um, the movement specific to that um, terrain makes the landscape completely change and, and the visceral effect that it has on you and your perceptions also changes. So um, travel certainty is not necessary. And my grandfather's uh, example, sorry, I just ramble on here. My, no, grandfather, <laughs> my, my, my grandfather's experience, my grandfather in Spain, the, that you sharply, he was a barber. He never left that town. He never left, he went, never went anywhere. And he was one of the wisest fucking people. Still had that perspective, right? Wow. Like I say to people, like I met, I've traveled a lot in India. I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. I've done a lot of meditating. I, I've been around a lot of meditation teachers. I've been around a lot of philosophers. And I still think to this day, my grandfather was the most pr profound, you know, person to give me very simple messages that I've ever met at this point in my life. And the thing mm -hmm. is, that his life is very simple. He was a simple guy. He was a barber in that town and everybody, you know, went to him and he was completely, um, his opinion, he was a opinionated. Basically people had an opinion and he would always find some way to see that person's perspective, whether he agreed with it or not, and always had something to say about it. And my, and my grandfather who traveled nowhere would say the deep, the simplest things to me in the deepest ways. And for me, to, you know, to elaborate a little bit more on your question, it's like there was no travel there. He was totally content. He had a very fulfilling life. And it was really how he looked at life and how he, how he perceived the experiences that he was having that gave him a lot of the, um, the, the, the wise um, qualities that he had. I think that's a, a really interesting uh, way to look at it, to say that your perspective is the key. And Alan Watts is a great, a great reference. Um, I'm watching the time, I'm not anywhere near being done, but I'm just watching where we are on time. And I always want to make sure that I give you a chance. So if there's anything that you, on your way to the interview, were thinking, I want to make sure we get to something, or if you want to touch um, something completely different from what we've been talking about, uh, I just want to make sure that you get a chance to bring those things up. Oh, man, you know, if I start talking, I can't stop. <laughs> I have, a, I have a video mute button for you. I can always fix that. <laughs> <laughs> my, wife is, my wife is laughing here in the background. Um, you, you can see I've already started talking. Um, I'm a little bit curious. I want to ask you a couple of questions because, sure. you know, we met, on, we met inside. Um, virtually, right. Ten, virtually inside Seth Godin's co-working space. And, um, and it was kind of interesting because I, I hadn't, I've been wanting for a long time to get into some of Seth Godin's programs. I've been really inspired by him as a, as um, what you would call maybe new school entrepreneur and somebody has a very interesting and uh, holistic and, and nurturing view on uh, advertising and business, which I also consider myself to be very akin to. And, and uh, um, we met in there and I, I put up a quote and a quote which would be pretty polarizing to some. It was an Osho quote. And for many years, I also visited Rajneesh, oh, sorry, the international, Osho Commune International in Pune, India. I would go to India for various different reasons. One of them was to to spend some time with my friends who were disciples of Osho in, in Pune. It's in the early 90s. And uh, and then we'd all hop on these buses and go down to Goa and party our asses off at these techno parties for on, on the beach for um, uh, you know a couple of months. And then I would also be doing a lot of yoga. And um, uh, you liked that quote. And the quote is uh, pertaining to how we embody uh, not only goodness, but we also embody a lot of darkness in, in, in our lives. And this comes back to the same thing that it's not, it's not that I'm, I'm craving for darkness, but I'm not opposing the darkness like uh, is often portrayed within society. And I'm very, very curious um, uh, about why you like that, for one. I'm also curious 
about um, what you're doing with Movers Mindset and the um, and 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 some of the philosophy that's behind it. Uh, I don't recall the exact quote off the top of my head, and I'm, I'm tempted to like flip windows and go hunt for it, but I don't want to crash the call. So I'll just put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know we can dig it in for the show notes, but I would love to have the specific quote so I could call back my train of thought. But my guess would be um, in the last, let's, let's say six months, so like um, starting in the fall, I have been particularly interested in seasons. And it's funny how, you know, um, the confirmation bias crops up. So as soon as you start doing that, then you, you notice it everywhere. And I was just on a video interview with somebody who brought up um, a guy named Sebastian Falcons. Um, he talks a lot about ages of training or a season of roots, season of fire, season of water, season of air. And it was just like, oh, there's the seasons thing again that somebody brought up randomly to podcast. And so the quote that you're recalling um, just in the third hand version of it here in my head reminds me of like the cycles and the seasons aspect of it. And I, I've been saying for as long as I can remember the place that I live in, in Pennsylvania, we have four real seasons, like spring is green, summer is hot, winter, it snows three feet, like, except for this year. Um, and I love that, that there's always that seasonal change and that, you know, you can really enjoy, you know, like I enjoy, it's really cold. And then I enjoy, oh, it's really hot. So I'm really drawn to that cycling seasonal part of it. And over the past few years, I've been reading more and more about stoicism and the idea of, um, I'm really not great at pulling quotes out of my head, but Epictetus says something to the effect of avoiding making presumptions because you don't know the story behind the other person's life, which reminds me exactly what you're saying about your grandfather, like thinking about something someone says and then like, well, rather than attacking the messenger or speaking in an attempt to refute what they've said, to try and try that idea on um, and like, you know, walk within, walk with that person in the idea and see what that idea is like. Um, I'm a strong believer for like as long as I can remember about you should like a, a wise person is someone who can entertain an idea without accepting it so that you can actually think about something. So that's um, without actually looking at the quote and going, oh, yes, I remember exactly my instinct is to say what you posted like fell into that train of thought in my confirmation bias. Um, and so that's my answer to that first part. And then for movers mindset, there's obviously like a really long story about how this all started. But what I have come to realize is the philosophical aspect of developing yourself was something that I hadn't done in the beginning. So I started like in the, my early life journey, there was a lot of physical movement in like soccer and bicycling. And I did a couple of, you know, crits and like bicycling was never my cup of tea, but I did a bit of, bit of it. And I was always kind of, I'm going to say bashing. So for me, physical activity was something that I just went straight into and there never was any like circumspection to it or not even anything like long-term planning, like, you know, how do I get better? And in like the thirties, my thirties, I started to realize, whoops, I've missed this whole mental aspect of training. And I, I fell into a group here in the States studying Aikido and I spent 15 years training with the same group. And it's one of those things where you have no idea what you've fallen into when you start, but I kept going because my friends were going and I liked the people I was training with and I liked my teacher and I, I it was like an on-ramp. It was a lot of, um, Aikido is, for people who are listening, Aikido is known for being um, very cooperative. So it's not, it's known for not being a realistic combat type of practice. And my teacher was pretty much the exact opposite of that. So he, his um, Japanese teacher who taught him in Philly 
was a very combat-oriented guy. So my teacher's style of Aikido was this beautiful blending of um, key practice and breathing meditation and the traditional, what people think of when they think of Aikido, combined with 100% you know, compact, like the, uh, the randori, the ran- random practice in, in, in Aikido. The randori was basically full strength, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I continued on that for years and it just perfectly matched my need to transition from the bashing mode to the thinking mode um, as my teacher, you know, aged 15 years over the course of his training. And it was just like one of those like, wow, that really worked out for me. And I've always had a lifelong love of reading. So the more I've been reading, I've been drawn to that philosophical side of it. So Movers Mindset started as me just running into people and having cool conversations in parkour circles. And then people saying, literally, you should record that. I would have listened to that conversation as a podcast. And then I realized, you know what? I should probably take this philosophical thing I'm interested in and back it into and make Movers Mindset a vehicle for that. So I'm, these days, using Movers Mindset, the project, to explore the philosophy that I I think a lot of people are missing from their physical training. Um, And at this point, I don't have... I don't have like an overarching big project. I'm more thinking, I'm just going to go talk to, you know, I don't know, 150 people so far. And the more people that I talk to, the more I realize, yeah, every time I do this, no matter how, I don't know, like yours is pretty clearly going to connect with me. Like, but I've talked to some people now in other contexts where I'm just like, I don't have any idea how this is going to relate to what I'm doing. But lo and behold, <laughs> kind of like your grandfather, if I ask them and they start talking and then I can figure out how to fit it in. Um, so that's, part of how I use Movers Mindset as a tool for my personal growth. Um, But I'm working on trying to project some specific tools. So I use um, three words as a tool in the audio podcast. So I went um, with some of my partners on the project. I went to great lengths to come up with three words that we use. And and one of the key words, the the three words are discovery, reflection, and efficacy. And the efficacy word I really like because it's not a common word in English and not everybody knows what it means. And those who do go, wow, I don't use that word very much. And I really am adamant about um, reality being the, it's the ultimate arbiter of truth or the ultimate source of truth. So if you study a martial art, but you don't do the cage fighting, or if you, you know, write, but you never let anyone see your writing to me, I'm like, you're missing a, I think you're missing a piece there. Um, so I'm also trying to, but I haven't yet accomplished this. I'm also trying to figure out how to use movers mindset as a way to actually teach people, but that's not currently what I'm doing, but that's where I think it's going is it's um, not that I want to run classes, but I would love to be able to, to have a trail of breadcrumbs for people who like show up on the first day and go movers, what, you know, and they click and they go in and like, Oh, Oh, and then like start here, like read this article and then watch that. I'd love to have that kind of thing happen someday, but I haven't gotten that far. Um, so that's my long rambling. Is it uh, that? That's really very interesting. Is it? Um, is there a lot of parkour enthusiasts in movers mindset, or is there? Is it a real mixed bag? I mean, uh, it's like woven into the DNA. So I started the project started under a different name, and uh, my whole journey of like just iterate and ship that also kind of code developed as I was doing this movers mindset thing. So I started this whole movers mindset project in it kind of started in 2015 and I was only collecting and sharing writing. And my original idea was to, to translate this stuff, to use like Google translate. And then eventually I wanted to hire professional translators and just take someone who wouldn't normally get a platform, put that writing on the internet because greatest tool ever and make it available in multiple languages. And I was actually trying to work in the parkour space. Um, it has multiple names. Like in France, they call it art du placement and then different things in London. There's it's, you know, it's a whole broad family community. And 
that was my original goal. But then the more I did it, the more I realized that, right, I mean, I know writing is hard, but it's really hard to get other people to write for you. So then it just became like recorded Skype calls and it turned into a podcast as a way to share the information. Wow. So it's, it's been like a long journey and it's tricky. Be, I mean, you've created things like businesses and entities, so you understand. But I think the average person doesn't understand just how hard it is when you get lost in, your, in the soup of ideas. Like I could do all these things and then I have these people that I'm supposed to be like working with and I can't, if I just give them a new idea every day, eventually they just go, what are we doing? So it's tough to, to bifurcate and have like a clear high fidelity vision for the thing so that everybody else can go, I know what we're doing and I know why we're doing it. And then also internally to be able to like, yeah, that's kind of artificial, but what I'm really doing is this melange of chaos down here. So that for me is a real current challenge. Just like how do I make Movers Mindset have a clear vision for the people working on the project and for the people who get exposed to the project, but at the same time still have it be this organic crazy mixture of things and random books and random places that I go for me, for my personal growth. So that's kind of where I am trying to like figure out what to do with the project. It's very interesting. Um, I, I have to say I've been struggling with the same thing in my, in, in our, in our base works project because it's, uh, yeah, at least unpack that a little bit too. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a, you know, so base works is, I could call it a brand that it's also a concept, which I, I came up with based on, you know, uh, in, in part a lot had to do with the combination of both my physical practices and the contemplative practices that accompanied those those physical practices, which allowed for me to go you know, deeper into this perception, perceptual mm -hmm. threshold that we've discussed a little bit today. So um, I didn't want to load it with, uh, even though I'm in, very interested in philosophy, I, I didn't want to load it with philosophy. I wanted it to be uh, a very practical, foundation-based concept um, which points people towards initially the most fundamental things about health that can be dialed into um, or that can be interwoven with the human experience. Mm -hmm. So I use movement as one just because I've been moving my entire life. I've been you know, doing sports, physical activities, you know, martial arts, meditation, yoga, um, working out, uh, you name it. I mean, and it's something I'm still very, very active. Um, that um, this, what you're talking about, having this kind of chaos is something I'm also very interested in, but over time too, just because I've had, you know, I've had some great scrutiny from my, both my business partner and my, my wife, both my business partners, but, uh, and uh, their ability to, to hone it down and better define it has been very useful also to, um, to have us be able to create a platform of which people can better understand, uh, you know, the, the fundamental foundational aspects of, of what we're trying to do with it. So to describe what it is a little bit is we can say that Baseworks itself is, um, it can be called the lifestyle brand. And then we have the method, which is um, an, an approach to movement. And then Baseworks practice is a structured application of the approach, which has, um, um, uh, four modules where we introduce a kind of a cyclical practice methodology, uh, which focuses on various different movement patterns uh, in, in combination with a lot of um, uh, different aspects of movement ranging from what we call full body distributed activation, which is a lot of isometric contractions mm -hmm. uh, in movement uh, without um, without a, a lot of momentum, 
So we're, we're slowing the movements down. It's where that's very difficult, different for something, say for example, like parkour, which is very much dependent on velocity, uh, velocity, uh, uh, segmental displacement, yeah, momentum, sort of weight over center of gravity, and all these things that are very of our dynamic, a lot of kinetic energy. So in base service, what we're trying to focus on first and foremost is is unpacking um, the uh, qualities of the movement and slowing everything down. Uh, uh, m mind you, it's it's not. It's not, uh, I can't say this, it sounds easy, but it's, it works towards building what we can, we highlight as a higher resolution of movement and a bigger movement vocabulary. So, um, it, and then that can be having slowed down, unpacked and deconstructed. A lot of aspects of very fundamental movement patterns from all the different possible perspectives. Somebody could take that um, and apply that to anything that, that they're doing. It could be parkour, it could be sports, it could be dance, it could be whatever. And also the people that have a, an experience, you know, several years of parkour practice under the belt and they're very proficient in movement, those people also, given, you know, they're the type of people that their heads haven't gotten too big, mm -hmm. and, and, you, know, you, you dig what I'm saying, they would be able to come in and, and, and really see the value of it too from the deconstructive pr pr perspective of movement. Some people, as you know, Craig, probably some people have really the natural ability to, um, to express themselves and not a lot of thought goes into it. And then other, other people like us, we practice for years and years and years and we're fine and we're fine and we're fine. We, then we develop a better understanding and then we see how that connects to the, our other interests. And, um, you know, we have you know an aspect of our teacher training which looks at what we um, a concept called the VAK framework, which talks about the different ways people learn, and um, and depending on how people learn, whether that's visceral, visceral, um, um, visual, kinesthetic uh, uh, or auditory, um, it's it's changing it's changing the whole perspective of the experience. But we don't want to we don't want to pigeonhole it either. We don't want to say, oh, that guy learns in a visceral way, so we should only focus on what he's good at doing. We're trying to encourage people that if you are that type of learner, um, it'll be very, it'll be very beneficial for you to first understand the auditory or the kinesthetic learner, and and then try to completely put yourself in that that person's position to experience what they're experiencing from their perspective. Therefore, this unpacks a lot of really interesting stuff. So, I could only talk a little bit about the method today. There's a lot that we talk about. So essentially, um, the method has the approach, and within the approach, there's the practice. And then, um, and then we have what we call BaseWorks Tech, which is working with people like yourself and a lot of people that are exploring all different aspects of movement. And then we, um, we, we break down a lot of different sort of like, not only practice, but concept qualities and, and, and discussions. And, um, and uh, yeah, and that, that tech part of it is a lot more about collaborations and extending out. And that's, and that's something we've been working on with all different people over the years, yeah. Mm. I, I wanted you to, I'm glad you unpacked that, but I was torn to ask because I derailed yeah. your other train of thought. <laughs> so I don't know if you can recall the other train of thought, which was, I was talking about the chaos and you, yeah. you just uh, mentioned yeah. base works and, and I do derailed you. So if you can go back to the other train of thought, where were you? Chaos. Yeah. So my wife fucking hates that uh, part of it. Uh, or she, <laughs> I don't know if she hates chaos, but um, you mentioned something a little bit earlier on where like, you had all these different ideas, blah, blah, blah. It's just like became completely kind of, gets kind of to be out of control. In the same way, something comes up. I'm very, ran like, I'm randomly inspired. And this is why it's great. Why my wife, who's a biologist and, and my business partner, who's just uh, a meticulously organized and, and super sharp, intelligent woman. Um, 
they're both always reel, reeling me in, but you know, I also believe to have the influence on them, which at some points, no matter how frustrating it is for them when random stuff comes up for me, they also see the, um, the value in yeah, like, the opportunity. Here was, our, here was our plan. The plan is here and this is what we're doing. So we're structuring a plan. And for the most part, I'm trying to adhere to those plans these days, which is just too disruptive <laughs> otherwise. Um, you do uh, have to work the process to get an actual result. Well, yeah, I totally I mean, get I, it. I'm from a very, you know, also artistic background as a musician for years, and and one of the some of the best songwriting I ever did was with it was not on my own was with with my band members. That's another conversation, another podcast. But um, that that was like um, those experiences for me are very valuable. And and so we could say, okay, here was here was a riff, and you know, let's add you know a, the rhythm section to it, and a chorus and so on and so forth. What are forth. you hearing when I do this, right? Exactly, but as we would, as we would, as we would jam, and from one rehearsal to the next, even from one show to the next, um, from one jam to the next, we'd listen to the rehearsal tapes, and then we'd go, to, then we'd do the show, and in the show, because we would all be going into this, like most of the time, we'd all just go to flow state, where, I mean, I somebody say flow state, I'm, I don't want to say like some sort of prestigious thing, it just happens spontaneously, because yeah. there's that, that borderline between feels like performance, anything you do performance, sports, same thing, getting the butterflies, and then fuck, you get into the zone and you go for it. So the flow state that we have with music, boom, and then we'd have the soundboard recording, we'd go back, listen to the soundboard recording, and say, fuck, you fucking hear that. And, and then this song would evolve and change again. And that's something that, um, for me, in my movement practice, has always been evolving over time. And, um, and with, this, with the Baseworks um, brand, if you want to call it, or the Baseworks uh, concept, uh, I think a big part of it is driven by that that uh, spontaneity and, and what we can see happen and come up. So we've trained thousands of students in, in the method, and um, across you know 14 years. Uh, so we have a studio here in, in Tokyo, and I've taught all over the world. Um, so cumulatively, we've trained thousands of students, and and also a, a big um, part of what I encourage all the certified teachers and all, and all, also all the students to see is that we well, you know us as as teachers. We don't consider ourselves to be more knowledgeable than the students, and we all practice with each other. So basically, I practice with, with the teachers I trained, and 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 they all attend each other's um, sessions, workshops, classes themselves. And what we start to see uh, from this ex from this experience is a really interesting collaborative effort. And to mm. be totally honest, I've learned so much more about um, the potential of what I've developed from the teachers that trained with me, um, having seen it from their perspective when I'm learning from them in, in, in their practice session or their class or whatever. And that's something, um, again, which changes. So I come out of that and I'll go, and I'll go back to Satoko and, and Asha, my business partner, my wife, and I'll say, hey, you know, that's fucking thing, that's not working anymore. You know, like this is like, yeah, didn't you know, do what we thought. Yeah, particularly because I like, I, I like to think also of Baseworks is not something that's, um, not something that, that's not attainable by some. When you look at parkour, it's really fucking hardcore. Like if you, one wrong move in parkour, you're fucked. <laughs> and um, it's same with skateboarding. I know I speak from because I used to do a lot of, a, a lot of half pipe yeah. skating and, and I fucked myself up, you know, like many, many times. And I really enjoyed it. And also psych, competitive cycling, I, crashing and racing, yeah. it's dangerous. So what we're doing, I, I don't want to introduce it as something that's dangerous. There's there's certain aspects of it where, where you can really push the limits with with joint mobility, flexibility, motor control, uh, balance, and and strength. That we're not we're not pointing to that as a goal. What we're trying to focus on more than anything is um, how can we continue to explore or research what we're doing 
within the context of different body types and different perspectives. So that the people that come, so like the, the really beginner people that come to our studios, it's almost like this is the people, those are the people that, that make me change everything. Because I see the body type is different, change how they, how they adhere to movement, how they adhere to the instructions. I think, fuck this, I was so convinced that this aspect of our method or of the approach or of the practice was so good, so effective. There was so much efficacy in that part of it. And I look at one student one day not being able to do one thing, and I think it's not no longer fucking effective. No. And I just say, I tear it apart. I tear it. And there's you know there's teachers. There's tons of teachers, and then we and then we have to deconstruct. And they all get upset too. They're like, oh, this is the fucking method for years. So, yeah, but no. I mean, let's, let's yeah, talk. That's <laughs> it. In this situation, I saw this person do this, and, and well, how do you think? And then they and then they'll say, yeah, they say, oh yeah, you know what? I've actually seen people do that. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. So it's not really effective for everyone. So how do we make it more palatable? Or how do we at least offer a variation or variable of some different aspect of movement that somebody can approach to be able to work again, back to the BAK, depending on the type of learner they are, to be able to approach achieving the same um, um, goals or the same experience. Let's not say goal, because I, I hate that fucking word. It's really loaded. Goals, yeah. we think of goals, it, then we're already putting a price tag on it. And it's just like, but the same experience. Let's call it the same experience whereby somebody can transform their understanding of movement and then how that transforms their perceptions. And then when I start saying things like this, I'm glad I'm talking to you because we talk about perceptions, you're kind of excited and we're talking, it's fun. You know, but sometimes I say to present it, oh, this movement practice can change your perceptions. I have people look at me like, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, it's like, how can it change my perception? And I'm like, yes, you get healthy. But the healthier you get, obviously, or the more you challenge the limits with health, um, that should be invoking something, you right. know, in the neurology that's going to shift the way you think about something. Is it how much, again, like you did Aikido? It opened up a lot of things too. The next thing you know, you're having chats with a group of parkour people and they're telling you, fuck, you should write that down. Yeah. And it becomes, it un, you know, unfolds into some really interesting conversations. And um, there's, definitely a, a, there's definitely an aspect of uh, the metaphor in my head is uh, a bunch of empty buckets and you have one golf ball every day and you can put it in one of the buckets. So if you put them all in the physical training bucket, eventually they're really good at that. But eventually they're going to just fall out of the bucket and it becomes boring. And it, it reminded me of, it's important that you have a, restricted number of things that you're applying your attention to. Otherwise, you just like get nothing done. And I think there's a lot to be said for, all right, my journey was like the physical side of it first. And then later in life, I became interested in the mental part of it. And, you know, everybody's gonna have a different path through there. But I think the human experience is pretty, I don't want to say uniform, but everybody's gonna kind of go through hopefully the same journey. Well, it's interesting what you said there, Craig, because it just there's one thing I like to explain is that what it all sounds very random what I just said, but it actually isn't. For years, because of my proficiency in understanding movement from the perspective of an athlete, from the perspective of a yogi, from the perspective of martial artists, from the perspective of just my own interests in uh, other different types of sports and, and physical practices and dance, um, it became very easy for me to adapt, change, play, and like completely like jam with people. But the conclusion that I came to after some period of time being a movement teacher is that Structure was incredibly important. That's why I developed the approach and it, with the method and the approach of BaseWorks. It's st structured to the cows come home. People are doing the same things, but you know, we just did a series of interviews here at the studio. You can see behind us here. We interviewed 14, 14 of our students, some of them teachers, some of them teacher trainers, some of them are regular students at the studio. 
And um, everybody was saying the same thing. Although there is a, an immense amount of structure which can be transferred from one session to the next session, depending on the teacher, that each teacher has a very unique perspective on the structure. So that's something that I've always tr also tried to achieve, this chaos within, the structure within chaos, is that I wanted to make something structured enough that people could go from A, you know, A to Z in, mm -hmm. in a learning uh, pattern, but at the same time, have, a, have some room for that person to have some space to be able to perceive it as something interesting for themselves. And I think we really accomplished doing that in the way that we uh, train the teachers here to, to, so that they can keep an open mind. And we never discourage people. That's the other thing too. It's like all these years I had practicing yoga, martial arts, a lot of my teachers, um, I'm talking about more strict approach to yoga. Like I was practicing yoga back in the 80s and 90s. So it was different than, you know, like yoga now is you could go to a yoga studio and do light bucket incense and like some place in <laughs> your own yoga practice. Yeah, la, 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 la. <laughs> you know, like, and um, I, but that wasn't my experience. You know, I had these hardcore teachers that were very uh, strict and, um, and they were, um, and they were always, you know, although I really respected them, they were always saying, don't ever go do that other method. Don't ever do this, you know, stick with this one. Whereas also as much as I, as much as I respected what they were telling me at that time, I never listened to them. So I was always doing a couple of different methods at once. But for me, it wasn't like some people. I understood what they were saying, that if people, if people do too many things at once without focusing, right. uh, there's never gonna be, you're never going to get the depth of perception that you, that's possible. So but I wasn't like I could, I could do a couple of things at once and I could get – so I'm Still unique in that way. But a lot of people are not. If people jump from one thing to the next, there's no potential for somebody to sink their teeth into yeah. something. It's reality. And um, if there's one thing I could say on, on that is that it's just that what I've tried to do with, with Baseworks is to develop a, a, a movement practice that is going to give somebody enough foundation and structure to be able to really dig their teeth into something, but at the same time, open the doors for like multiple different possibilities. And that's been the, that's been the heart of it. And that's where it becomes a little bit chaotic at times for people to understand conceptually in these conversations and, um, and, and, and a struggle for myself. And, and the team here to sometimes verbalize to people. So what are you fucking talking about? What is it, like Pilates? Like, what is it? It's like, it, no, we don't need to be like anything like that. You know, it's, uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. No, I think that's, uh, I think that's a great perspective. I think you've, you've accomplished a lot from what I understand and uh, doing a lot of good work. So I want to be mindful of your time. Um, and I think, um, yeah, there's no reason this has to be our only conversation. We can always do another one. I'm very happy. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I'll see you over in the virtual co-working community for at least another 10 days that it's running. Yes. And I Is will, it 10 days only? Uh, yeah, it ends on April 18th, I believe. Okay. So, but I, I'll, you, we have our contact information. You and I will be in touch. Yes. Yeah, no, and I'll be sort of poking around a little bit in, your, in the movers, movers Mindset community too. Um, no rush, that's okay. Like, I, uh, it's been it's been uh, it's very very interesting talking to you. Thank you very much for inviting me to come on, Craig. Yeah, really thank you for reaching out to me in response to my one simple like. And it's it's those a lot of what they talk about in the communities, the Akimbo communities, is that find the others. And you know, if you come away with one new relationship from and you know anything that you go to, whether it's an online community or a physical event, um, sometimes you feel like you have to collect everybody. And it's like no, if you come away with one new deep connection, that's a super valuable thing. So. Well, I, and I feel that that's what this is. It's, it's amazing. Thank you so much, Craig. Yep. Really Thank you for taking the time uh, and for making the schedule happen. We're almost literally on opposite sides of the globe, but it still worked out. So terrific. Um, so let's call it there. And I will say thank you very much, Patrick, and enjoy the rest of your evening.
Yeah, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye.